then. Children of the night, what music they make. They're coming to get you, Barbara. They're here. Ah. Welcome to my nightmare. What an excellent day for an exorcism. Kill you all. You don't know what death is. We belong dead. Here's Johnny. <laughs> I shot him six times. Only a butt. Free for your life. <laughs> <laughs> to a new world of parts and monsters. Welcome, everyone, to Pods and Monsters. My name is Robert, and with me is Inthea. Hello. <laughs> How are you today, Inthea? I'm all right. How are you? I'm good. What do you want to talk about today? Uh, I guess this movie. Well, the movie we're going to be talking about, it is in our line of universal monster movies. As you might know, every other movie that we do so far is going to be a universal monsters movie. We will be doing the main ones, meaning we'll do Frankenstein, Dracula, the Wolfman, the Mummy, the Invisible Man, and Creature from the Black Lagoon in release date order. And we have come to 1940, the end of 1940. Oh, will this be the last movie of 1940? This is the last movie of 1940, yeah. And this is the second sequel to The Invisible Man, and it is entitled The Invisible Woman. So, have you heard of The Invisible Woman, Anthea? Um, you know, I think I heard that Elizabeth Banks is remaking The Invisible Woman, and heard- that was the first I'd heard of it. Yeah, I had, I had heard something about that. But you know The Invisible Woman Marvel character, right? From the Fantastic Four. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Jessica Alba in the picture. <laughs> Isn't her name like Sue Storm or something? I don't know. But yeah, The Invisible Woman, I have been familiar with it since I've been Invisible Man and Universal Monster fan, but I had probably only seen it once. Okay. But we rewatched it again for this recording, and why don't we get into The Invisible Woman? I really am invisible. So we have our, we still have our starry Universal Mirrorball looking logo, which mm-hmm. is great. And we open up with very dramatic music. And we see a silhouette of a woman in front of a vanity set. She starts to disappear, and the title then materializes, and it says The Invisible Woman. And then the music gets a little romantic. Yeah, it does. I... I, I like the music a lot, and I do like this little uh, vignette of her disappearing in front of the vanity. Mm-hmm. We open with a car pulling up to a big old house, and a butler named George walking down some stairs. There's been like a party or something, and he takes a really insane tumble down the stairs, tripping on a bottle on his way down. 
Yeah, very slapstick, very Three Stooges-esque, which is funny for this movie. And I'll tell you why in a moment. But yeah, that's quite the fall he took. Yeah, this character is a very physical actor played by a very physical actor and yeah well i can't i have to assume that was a stunt double no i got the impression that it was him because really there's no need for (laughs) half of the things that made me like every time he would fall or do anything it made me physically uncomfortable especially down these stairs because technically he went like it wasn't even like he slipped on his back and slid down the stairs it was a ladder wasn't it no, he slid down. He tumbled down the stairs. Well, the ladder's later. Ladder's later. Oh, okay. But this man is going head first into <laughs> almost anything. Yeah. And it's bonkers. It's wild. I don't I don't understand. <laughs> so at this point, we already have gathered that this is not really going to be a horror movie. We could tell this movie is a comedy. It very much is. There's no horror to it at all. The doorbell rings and there's a gentleman that walks in. He's a lawyer and he walks in with this newspaper that talks about Dick Russell and uh, how he's a playboy and he's looking for ladies. It's a whole scandalous little front page article about this man. Well, he's in trouble. The lawyer is upset about it. He ends up having a conversation with Dick Russell and mentions that he's broke. You are broke! Because he is being sued or something? He has to pay off all these people and these women? Uh, Yeah, basically he has these affairs with women and I guess they don't get specific as to why he has to give them money, but it's safe to assume that maybe it's to keep them silent about whatever their affair was like or like I, I don't think he would have been married to them and it's a divorce but basically he has to pay off these women to leave him so he can move on to the next so weird he also mentions a mr gibbs who is asking for three thousand dollars he invents and no one knows exactly what he's inventing yeah um, professor he, gibbs yeah he is being supported though by dick russell mm-hmm. george the butler has put in his resignation and he ends up making a comment that he will reconsider it if they get rid of professor gibbs and so i guess dick is kind of convinced that yeah this is just some dead weight that he could get rid of that will help him out financially and he decides he's gonna tie up his purse strings and move along yeah so he sends george with a note to give to mr gibbs to tell him that he won't give him any more money the message is delivered to professor gibbs who then urgently needs to go to the city So he runs to the city to go change an ad that he has placed in the paper. And in this ad, he's looking for someone who is willing to become invisible. And initially he needed this $3,000 to entice someone um, Mm -hmm. because why would anyone want to be invisible? Right. He changes the ad and he ends up getting this insane amount of responses. Yeah. Well, yeah, he changes the ad to say there's no compensation. Yes. need Need a volunteer. And uh, they're very surprised by how many responses they get to this ad. Yeah, they get lots of responses, but most of them are joke responses saying like, uh, yeah, uh, I'll reply to your ad. Can you make my wife invisible? You know, yeah, like, true. <laughs> things like that. By the time he goes home, we do see one of his first inventions, which is a self-driving car. Put yourself in the garage, lazy bones. Which is very funny and just gives you a little glimpse into how 
different, I guess. The, I mean, he just fits yeah. into that like nutty professor kind of. Yeah, he's one of those zany professors. Like he kind of reminds me of Professor Wells from Kingdom of the Dinosaurs at Knott's Berry Farm. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess you might as well say he's played by John Barrymore, you know, one of the great Barrymore actors. Oh, uh-huh. And this was one of his final roles. Here he runs back into Dick Russell, who confirms in person to him that he's broke. Gibbs gets really excited about the experiment and wants Russell to join him. Um, They look over the responses. And while they're doing that, Gibbs tells them that they could make a lot of money with this experiment after they do this trial. You'll make millions out of this. And in this, he kind of piques, well, he very much piques Russell's interest. And he's he's kind of back in the game at this point. Russell finds a letter from a Kay Carroll and they decide that this is going to be the person who they're going to let come in on the experiment. Right. Kay Carroll responded to the ad. They say they want to be invisible. Russell thinks at this point, he does definitely think that this is going to make him money. He tells Gibbs to contact Kay Carroll about accepting their offer. Then we also have like a interesting little thing here that happens with the professor talking to his cat named Kitty. And he says, Kitty, Kay Carol is going to be joining you because the cat is the only thing he's ever managed to make invisible. And it wasn't even for that long. Kitty, Kay Carol is going to join your club. And then it's funny when we find out what the K stands for. Yes. So now we're in the city and a woman named Kay Carroll, she receives the response letter and her name is Kitty Carroll. Kitty Carroll. Uh, it always reminds me of Kitty Carroll. Do you know who that is? No. That's Cindy Brady's doll from the Brady Bunch. Oh. <laughs> she reads the letter. You can tell that she's in somewhat of a dire uh, situation. She's definitely not the happiest, which we find out in the next scene a little bit more about that. But she's so delighted to have this letter. And she says that it's a letter to adventure. This is the call to adventure. And that she is over her current life. So she's just like done with it. And we follow her to work, which is at a gown modeling, like a showroom for a dress shop, a handmade dress shop. Dress shops that would make custom dresses, uh, a lot of the time they would do little fashion shows to sell their dresses as opposed to just looking at them on the rack. Yes. So she works there as a model. Yes. As she's there and she's getting ready, she dreams about her possibilities of being invisible. What would you do if you could become invisible? And uh, she talks about her boss and him being, what's his name? His name is Growly. Growly, yes. And she says that he's a huge jerk and that if she were invisible for a day, she'd give him a kick in the pants. Now I know what I'd do. I'd kick him right in the pants. Growly is played by Charles Lane, who is a very famous cantankerous character actor. Oh, really? (laughs) You would see him in basically every single TV show from the 50s and 60s. (laughs) (laughs) So we had a little bit of an experience with the job. There's a coworker who is sick, but can't afford to not show up to work. There's an altercation with some women there. And the boss, Mr. Growley, he ends up taking the side of the women. They accidentally rip the dress that's on Kitty. And he makes her apologize to them, even though she's like, no, they did it. And he just is like a complete jerk and treats them like crap and says he's going to take the time. Like she was a few minutes late, like two minutes late. And he said that he's going to dock her like an hour pay. And he's just 
really running these girls ragged and underpaying them. And the one that has the cold, he ends up firing her. Yes. So Kitty's had enough and she takes off. She essentially quit. Well, I mean, she quits her job and heads over to Professor Gibbs. We meet Mrs. Jackson, who is Professor Gibbs' maid? Yeah, I guess you could say that. Assistant? Housekeeper? Housekeeper? (laughs) Companion? (laughs) Reluctant companion? And what do we know her from? She's the witch. The Wicked Witch of the West (laughs) from Wizard of Oz. I'll get you, my pretty, and your little dog, too. (laughs) Gibbs is frustrated to learn that Kay Carroll is a woman, and uh, he then asks Mrs. Jackson to chaperone their interactions. Well, I don't know as I want to see folks get invisible. Might give me a turn. Gibbs tells her to get naked and injects her with a serum of some sort, which is his part of his experiment. Right. He then tells her to go stand behind this machine and tells her that she, while he's injecting her, he tells her that she'll only be invisible for a few hours. Where previously... It was an undetermined amount of time in these movies. Like, no one knew. It was always finding the antidote to reverse. Right. In this movie, we have a timed amount presented to us. Basically, even though this is technically a sequel, it has nothing to do with the other Invisible Man stories. There's no mention of Jack Griffin or any of those characters, Mm -hmm. and the whole invisibility works differently and is a different process to to be invisible. But I do like that we get our rules set up here. Yeah. Like, I mean, later on, they kind of amend those rules, but... It's just like, it's a finite amount of time. This is what's going to happen to you. Well, it's one of the only times, or I mean, so far, it's the only time that we have seen the invisible person in visible form before becoming invisible. Yeah, this is true. He tells her to go into this little machine. Actually, it's a very big machine. And I like how this is done. It's a machine where we see her silhouette. And then she's kind of like moving around and just kind of she's being real silly because this is very much a comedy. And it it tickles her, right? Yes. Really doesn't hurt. Now when it tickles. (laughs) I'll say it does. We watch her silhouette become invisible. And when she finally is invisible, she comes out from behind, but she's holding a mirror because they give her a mirror to look at herself, but she can't see anything because she's invisible. And so we get the first glimpse of her as being invisible with this floating mirror. Yeah. And, you know, this movie was really risque for the time, you know, seeing her silhouette of the silhouette of a naked woman, you know, something that, (laughs) uh, you know, the eight year old boys that went to go see this movie really got excited about. (laughs) Or later on when it's just her gams walking around. Yeah. Mr. Gibbs needs to go get Russell and tells her to stay right there. So, of course, she immediately takes off to go mess with Growly, leaving Gibbs pretty much high and dry. She disobeys all of his orders and Mrs. Jackson can't stop her from leaving. Right. Gibbs comes back with Russell and cannot find her to introduce him and wonders if there was actually an unforeseen effect that had taken place like maybe she fainted um so she's like on the ground so he's just kind of searching around for her mrs jackson tells him that she had talked about going to go talk to growly like she was mentioning growly at the modeling studio she shows up and puts on this gown to scare away all of the the mean customers <laughs> in the little parlor. So she saunters in in this beautiful gown, but she has no head. And it scares the crap out of these women. Yeah, they it's go pretty running. Fu- it's pretty funny. 
And then uh, she goes to scare Growly. Growly. Which I like this where she shows up. She has all of the clothing on. And then she takes it all off in front of him. Then she starts wreaking complete havoc on everything. Throwing things on the ground. She just trashes the whole place. And on her way out, she ends up grabbing, I believe, the time punch machine and throws that. Yeah. But prior to her leaving, she tells Growly that she's here for his indiscretions against these women and how horrible he's been. um, And that he needs to pretty much learn from his ways. Right. And then she locks him in a window and starts kicking him in the butt. Now you'll see how it feels when the shoe's on the other foot. What's what's funny is when she's undressing and she's invisible next to him, you could still see her shadow. This shot in particular wasn't done that great because... If you remember from previous episodes, we talked about that the way that the invisible effect works is the actor wears all black velvet. Uh And then there's like a black velvet background. That's basically the way a green screen would work today. But when she takes off her dress, she puts her black velvet arm in front of the dress and you could just see that black velvet arm. Mm. Like they didn't actually make it invisible. Mm Mm-hmm. And then also what was funny is when she is invisible, you could still see her shadow on the wall. I love it. Yeah. I'm 100% for it. (laughs) When she leaves, Growly ends up fainting from the whole episode. Now we're at the newspaper and men show up at the newspaper and they want the address of the person who put out the ad looking for someone to become invisible. They're very much the gangster type, like almost stereotypically. Yeah, very much stereotypically. (laughs) And who was one of those gangsters? Gangsters. Um, one of the dudes from the Three Stooges. It was Shemp. Um, gosh, I really don't like the Stooges. I love I the Three Stooges. I know. No one's perfect. <laughs> How dare you? Um, why I yada? <laughs> one of the thugs. His name is Foghorn, and he wants to see the layout of the machine. So we find out that they just want to get a peep at it. And why? Um, why is it called Foghorn? Oh, because of his voice. Because he has a deep voice, that's why. (laughs) So Foghorn wants to get a layout of the machine. They're able to track down Professor Gibbs' laboratory. Laboratory? Are we going to call it? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And Kitty is returning uh, to the lab. And since she's invisible, she passes right by them and hears what their plan is, as well as sees them pulling out all of their guns a big tommy gun she goes inside to warn the professor about the thugs coming in foghorn uh then shows up at the door and he has a fake accent my name is hardwick spencer i'm a fellow scientist he tells the professor that he is also a fellow scientist and wanted to chit chat with him kitty who's still invisible outs him and tries to get rid of him After that, the professor tells her that he doesn't want anything to do with her. Um, He's pretty much over how irresponsibly she's acting with this experiment and that she took off to do her own agenda. Yeah, which is funny because the whole reason she wants to be invisible is to kick her boss in the pants. She's (laughs) a petty, petty person. Yeah. Kitty convinces him to take her to go see Russell, but she starts to reappear. You're materializing. Go get your clothes on. Oh! She agrees to be invisible again, even though I'm not too sure. Well, I guess because they weren't anticipating it wearing off so soon. Yeah. Um, but she agrees to get invisible again. And she mentions that she can get some time off from Growly. He 
so from here, I don't really know the time between all of this, but we go back to the modeling studio. Right. And Crowley has made a complete 180 and is the nicest person on earth, giving the gals a lovely morale pep talk, calling them my angel, calling <laughs> them the most ridiculous, lovely names. And he's just being super nice. And he gave the gal who was sick her job back and told her to take time off because she's sick. Yep. And then, of course, the invisible woman, uh, Kitty, can get what she wants out of him. Yes. And as he hangs up the phone with her, he speaks out to that ghost that spanked his butt or kicked his butt earlier. (laughs) (laughs) If he's doing a good job. That's right. (laughs) How am I doing? As Gibbs is leaving his laboratory, I don't know why I keep wanting to say lair, his laboratory, he sees that Russell has finally packed up and left. Earlier on in the movie, there was a whole thing where Russell was going to leave, packed up everything, and his butler was packing up the house and fell off a ladder, and it was totally fine. Blah, 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 blah. Stay. We have this experiment going. But now, because the experiment, he wasn't able to see it, they're taking off and leaving to his fishing house lake house some other house a smaller estate of some sort because he's loaded yes so they take off after him now we're back with the thugs who are talking to their boss who we find out is in mexico we see this guy and is he a nazi i'm not too sure what's happening here (laughs) (laughs) i don't know he's got a thick german accent he can't go home yeah, I don't know if he's a Nazi or what, but he's uh, he's a bad guy that wants to go to America, or I assume America, maybe or maybe not. No, he said he wants to go home. I don't know where he wants right. to go. Well, wherever home is, he wants to go there, but he can't because he's, he's stuck in Mexico. So that's why he wants to be invisible, so he could sneak out. And this actor, the boss, his name is Oscar Homoka. I don't know him at all. Oh, wait. He mentions that he wants to go back to Paris, which does not match his accent (laughs) because he says he calls it Gay Paris. Gay Paris. And then I put he's French. He's a French Nazi. (laughs) Nobody understands me. I'm sensitive. Yeah, I don't know. And his name is Blackie. There's a lot of problematic names in this movie. (laughs) He's in the company of a scientist also who is a Mexican scientist um, who doesn't understand how to make someone invisible. But... The plan is that they just are going to get the plans, the layout for this machine and then build it down in Mexico so that they can make Blackie invisible. Right. So, yeah, we're back with Russell at his cabin and Gibbs shows up with Kitty. When they go inside, George answers the door and they uh, then we get like a series of gags that Kitty does of like picking things up. She pours like some brandy or cognac or something and so it's a floating glass and and kitty takes a few sips and at this point she shows no self-control i think at one point she throws a cat yeah i think that's right (laughs) (laughs) flying cats i wrote down in my notes (laughs) she like makes a cat walk around and then she like throws it the whole thing is weird and then the cat's like real pissed when it lands on george um, this movie is real bonkers. I said, oh, my God, so many times just because there's a real disregard for physical limitations of people <laughs> in this movie. Yeah. George runs out to go find Dick Russell and bring him back in. Kitty, again, outs herself as being invisible by drinking some more. And she ends up calling Russell handsome. And this starts their... Their flirty banter. Yeah. But- 
What's funny is his his flirty banter with her is, well, you uh, you can't be too easy on the eyes if you want to be invisible. Any girl that become invisible can't be very easy on the eyes. Professor. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of like, he digs at her, he jabs at her. They insult flirt with each other, and she's stuck being invisible until the morning, because the professor figures out that her drinking is actually extending, is having a reaction with the invisibility serum part, yeah. and is extending her being invisible. Yeah, it seems like her the invisibility potion makes her want to drink, and it will extend her invisibility. Yeah, which is weird. I never liked to drink before. Fight the impulse, young woman. That desire must be caused by something in the treatment. I like how yeah. this is the madness part of it. Yeah. So while they're having the flirty banter so he could see her better, she puts on the stockings and she's just some legs walking around. And, you know, and also she's doing this to show that she is easy on the eyes. <laughs> she ends up super drunk and they just they put her to bed. Meanwhile, George tries to quit again, but they won't accept his resignation. And Dick says that he is pretty much very much attracted to her. He's never seen her. He needs to be there in the morning because he would like to see her face. Mm -hmm. Back at the house, the thugs pull up with this truck. They show up to steal all the invisibility machine, uh, but they're stopped by Mrs. Jackson on their way in, and they actually end up just locking her in a closet. Yep. And you know what happens when you lock a witch in a closet. (laughs) The next morning... What does happen? (laughs) I don't know what happens. You're the one throwing it out. I don't know. Okay. Um, The next morning, Kitty is still invisible and super hungover. The booze is um, having an effect in lengthening her invisibility. Yep. Uh, They need to go back to the the lab to fix her. But the machine is now in Mexico. (laughs) So uh, that's gone. The professor finds that they took it. But they do not have the corresponding formulas. So the thugs don't know about the serum part of it. They just know about the machine. Right. And without the serum, invisibility is not possible. But something else could happen. They end up trying the machine out on Foghorn. And now it shrinks his vocal cords. Yeah, Oscar Homolka, or Blackie, he doesn't want to be the test subject. So he has Foghorn go in to be the first uh, guinea pig. Mm-hmm. And yeah, makes his voice very high instead of making him invisible. So instead of talking like this, he talks like this. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you! Give me back my pipes! The professor is trying to find a way to make Kitty visible again, which Russell is super excited about. But he doesn't want Kitty to know that he's excited about seeing her. So he kind of just keeps that away. But then we get more flirty banter between them. What color did you say your eyes were? Well, if you're so interested, why don't you stick around and find out? That's just what I'm going to do. These two are like head over heels in love with each other. They've known each other for probably, I'd say, a total of 45 minutes. But (laughs) they are in love. Well, the whole movie is only an hour and 10 minutes, so they got to get it in there. Truly, this movie moves so fast paced that I didn't know what to do with myself. I it was it was too much almost. I mean, it's great for a quick movie, but it's not that great when you got to write some notes down. So, so the professor administers the antidote, and for some reason, he has this insane dress for her to wear. It's like a ball gown. <laughs> yeah. 
Kitty is finally able to meet Russell. And we got this grand reveal on the staircase that we met at the beginning. Uh, we saw at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, she comes down like a princess. We were talking about this set that it looked awfully familiar from other Universal movies. Yes. And I, I think they are from Universal movies. I don't know for sure, but it reminds me of the one from Werewolf of London. The one thing it reminds me most of, is, which is a movie you haven't seen, is The Mummy's Tomb. I just remember there being a party and people running up and down the staircase and then they have to go upstairs yeah, that was and Werewolf someone has fainted. Yeah, George is out patrolling, uh, keeping guard on the estate. It's nighttime and kind of foggy and it's perfect for the thugs to return uh, because they realize that they're missing some component. Our poor friend George does get outsmarted by the thugs. Professor Gibbs warns Kitty not to drink because she still has this in her system that it could cause her to go invisible again. As she's being warned, the thugs break back in, but they hide around the house. The thugs kidnap the professor and Kitty and they knock out Russell. That's right. And then George comes in and finds him. And to wake him up, he pours a bowl of water over him, the fish bowl. And it really looks like there's real fish that are on the floor flopping around. I guarantee you those are real fish (laughs) flopping around on the floor. Foghorn arrives to tell them where they can find the thugs and they all go to Mexico. Yeah, Foghorn is now helping our good guys because he is mad at Blackie for making him the test subject and getting rid of his wonderful voice. Yep, yep, yep. I can tell you where they took the girl and the professor. For the love of Pete, where? Now we're all in Mexico and Kitty finds a bottle of grain alcohol and drinks it <laughs> to make herself disappear. Hey, lady, that stuff will let your bridge work. Uh, <clears throat> impossible. I haven't any bridge work. She then disarms the thugs and knocks them out. She also uh, takes out the men outside. So there's quite a few amount of guards and she just is sneaking up on people. Yeah, she's like hitting them with hammers and like putting a bowl on Shemp's head. And it's a whole thing. And uh, this is such a weird climax. Like it just, it turns into like this big, I don't know, like like a Three Stooges short. There's just. Oh, 100%. And she disarms literally everyone there. This is where, so fine. She's a self-sufficient woman. She's able to do what she needs to get done. I love that. And then the men show up to rescue her. Yeah. Well, uh, and she doesn't she's like well they're gonna have to come in here and get me okay yeah this is this is very strange it doesn't make sense to me <laughs> let me give you a little premise a little setup here okay so as we said she has beat up all the guards she is now free with the professor the professor was tied up this whole time they're all good here comes dick george and foghorn they're coming to come save the day and she says what you said. Oh, they're gonna ha- they're gonna have to uh, save me. It can't be this easy for them. So what does she do? She fires a machine gun at them. Yeah. To make it seem like they're under attack. The whole thing just doesn't make sense. I, I don't get it. Is it because she's drunk out of her mind? It has to be, I guess. <laughs> if he wants me, let him fight for me. Those are the noisiest grasshoppers I ever heard. <laughs> Christopher Columbus were being shot at. And also, Professor Gibbs this whole time, the longer this movie goes, the dumber he gets. He gets so stupid and comedic, it's almost like he's been drinking, too. <laughs> his his feet are bound, but his arms are fine. He's just like, I can't walk. Yeah, he's flailing around. <laughs> Something seems to me the matter with my feet. Meanwhile, Blackie has now woken back up 
and is fighting Foghorn, who knocks him into the machine and turns it on, which then causes Blackie's voice to get all tiny and squeaky. Yeah, and Foghorn's voice has come back to being that low voice because he got punched in the face, and a punch in the face cures the vocal cords. Also, it's it's temporary. Right? Yeah, but he thinks that. He's like, hey, you brought my voice back. <laughs> when Blackie comes out and he has the high voice, he's so nice to Foghorn. He says, um, you know, let's let bygones be bygones. My voice! No, he says, my pipes! My pipes! <laughs> I got my pipes back. You know, before we went into talking about this movie, I was like, you know, I thought it was okay. Um, It's quickly changing. Um, (laughs) My pipes, my pipes. So Kitty and Russell are now reunited outside and uh, Russell tells her that he loves her and I believe she's invisible still and he goes to kiss her. Um, and he plants a kiss on an invisible person. Yeah. Well, what's funny is, again, she's pretending to be in trouble. She falls into some water, this little pond, and he jumps in to save her. And he goes head first into this, like, the most shallow 18 pool. inch pond. <laughs> and it's just, it seems so dangerous that he says something to the effect of, You're all wet, but I love you. You're all wet, but, but I love you. The whole thing is weird. <laughs> and now it cuts to the future. It's a little while later. I really, really don't know at this point. Then it pans. It, it kind of widens on the shot. And uh, they have a baby. So uh, yeah, did- these two have had, they've gotten married, presumably. Yeah. And uh, now have a baby. Yeah. Dick and Kitty have a little Dick Kitty. Oh, my God. God. Um, <laughs> so they're surrounded by, I believe, pretty much everyone, right? So Yeah, it's like George, the professor. And, and uh, this baby is getting its diaper changed. And there's some sort of like uh, rubbing alcohol next to this baby because apparently he cleaned the baby with some rubbing alcohol. Yeah, that's what he did of the day. And the baby starts turning invisible. Yeah, because remember, alcohol makes you invisible. Yep. And here we go again. Hereditary. The end. (laughs) Yeah, so now the next movie will be called The Invisible Baby, even though that's not true. (laughs) So that is the end. We end on an invisible baby getting his diaper changed. Yeah. What'd you think? Whatever. It's it's such a throwaway movie. It has nothing to do with anything. I'm not too sure why we watched it. <laughs> because it's in the Invisible Man series. But it doesn't it doesn't continue anything. That's okay. Does it get referenced later? Nope. But yeah, it's not my favorite movie. Uh I like some of the effect shots. Yeah. But uh yeah, it's a weird movie. You don't get any time to be attached to any character. Yeah. And uh they fall in love entirely too quickly. They do. And I just think the comedy is a little bit too much like like it's it's a sci-fi slash comedy, but it's, it's just not good. Yeah, it's not funny enough. And I mean, I mean, it's fine. 
the thing that really gets me is the end when she starts shooting at them. It's just, it just doesn't make sense. She's real aggressive. <laughs> but yeah, whatever. I mean, it's, it is what it is. I do know there's some people that do really like this movie. And they, a lot of people think it's better than The Invisible Man Returns, which I don't think so at all. What? Because they, like, I saw some people online, they said The Invisible Man Returns was too heavy handed. And now we're back to more of a playful nature. And I'm like, this no. is too playful. Yeah. I like my goat. I like my. I need a raving lunatic. I need. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah, there's no murder in this movie. <laughs> there is no murder in this movie. Wow, there's no murder in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Except yeah. those fish. Well, that fish could have probably survived. And my pipes! My pipes! <laughs> All right. Well, why don't we talk a little bit about the history of this movie? Unfortunately, because this isn't a classic, there isn't a ton of information, but I'll let you know what I got. Yep. Ready. Let's do this. Invisible women. These days, you can't believe your own eyes. The Invisible Woman from 1940, directed by A. Edward Sutherland. Not related to Kiefer or Donald. (laughs) Uh, It's an original story by Kurt Seodbach and Joe May. Joe May was the director of The Invisible Man Returns. And Kurt Seodbach, I believe, wrote that with him. But again, like I told you before, Kurt Seodbach is uh, most famous for creating The Wolfman. Yes. I was like, why is that name familiar? Yeah. Again, he's credited with a K instead of a C in his name. Mm -hmm. So with our cast... Playing Kitty Carrie, Kitty Carryall. <laughs> <laughs> Our cast playing Kitty Carroll, we have Virginia Bruce. Uh-huh. Don't know much about her. Okay. As Professor Gibbs, we have John Barrymore. The Barrymores were like the biggest acting family of the 19. 19- 20s to the 40s or something like that Mm -hmm. john barrymore i think he may have been the most popular one this was one of his last films the thing that us monster fans know him mostly from is the 1920 version of dr jekyll and mr hyde with a great transformation scene Mm. yeah so he was one of the biggest stars of the world for a time i think out of his siblings he was the only one not nominated for an oscar but he is widely regarded the best actor of them all nowadays. Interesting. And he is also the grandfather of Drew Barrymore. Oh. Yeah. As Richard Russell, we have John Howard. I don't know him, but... (laughs) (laughs) He did a lot of TV in the 50s and 60s, and he was in a monster movie called The Undying Monster. He also started a series of movies called The Bulldog Drummond Mysteries. Playing George, we have Charles Ruggles. He was in a ton of stuff, a comedic actor, but... Was he a physical actor? Yeah, I'm not sure. I would guess so, based on the type of things he's in. And based on The Invisible Woman. Yeah, this is my only exposure to him. But there's stuff that you've seen with him, you just don't remember him, such as The Parent Trap. Who was he in The Parent Trap? Do you know the movie pretty well? Mm, Somewhat. He plays Charles McKendrick. I'm guessing he is the grandfather in the movie. (gasps) Smells like peppermint? 
Is that what happens? Because I see he has the same last name as Haley Mills, you know, the, the main characters, uh-huh. and Maureen O'Hare, who played their mom. He smells like peppermint. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was also at Bringing Up Baby, another terrific picture with uh, Cary Grant. Okay. He did a ton of TV. All, all these actors did a lot of TV shows, but he was he was on The Munsters. Hmm. And apparently he was a big animal lover with his wife. And at one time they had 94 pets. Can you believe it? That must have smelled awful. (laughs) (laughs) Playing Blackie, we have Oscar Homoka. And the thing that I know him best from is Mr. Sardonicus, which Mm. is one of the scariest movies I had ever seen when I was a kid. Mm. So scary. And he played... Smile. Yeah, he played Crawl in that movie. And he was also in The Seven Year Itch, playing Bill, who was one of the gangsters, not Foghorn or Shemp, but the other one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was Edward Brophy. And he, we know him mostly from being the voice of Timothy Q. Mouse in Dumbo. Really? Yeah. Look, Dumbo, I'm your friend. Oh. Donald McBride plays Foghorn. He's also in The Seven Year Itch. And I believe he plays a police officer officer in my favorite Rondo Hatton movie, The Brute Man. The Brute Man? Yeah. Hmm. Love The Brute Man. Mr. Growley is played by Charles Lane, which has been in everything. I know him best from Isle of Lucy. He was in a ton of episodes. He played the business manager, Mr. Hickox. Yeah, so he was in a million things. And he lived to be 102 years old. Oh my gosh. I remember when he died, because there was a whole thing like on TV land and stuff, because People thought he would just always be around. He was born in 1905 and died in 2007. Wow. Such a long life. Yeah. Mrs. Jackson is played by Margaret Hamilton, who we said is most famous playing the Wicked Witch of the West in The Wizard of Oz. Mm-hmm. And she is also in the William Castle picture, 13 Ghosts. Not with Tony Shalhoub. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Frankie is played by Shemp Howard, who we said, is one of the Three Stooges. When the Three Stooges were created as a trio, he was the first Three Stooge when they were on stage. Then it became Curly, then it went back to Shemp. He left the Stooges to become more of a serious actor. Mm-hmm. And then he did, I guess, some serious stuff, but then he did comedies like this. So this was the time when Curly was the Stooge, and he was off doing his own thing. And then when Curly got sick, he went back and took his place. Gotcha. And he is the real-life brother of Bo and Curly. Uh-huh. So a little bit of history about the movie itself. Uh, John Barrymore, apparently he, like the Invisible Woman, <laughs> was an alcoholic. Oh, no. And he had a very difficult time remembering his lines because of alcoholism. So he used cue cards attached to the walls, to the floors, anything that was off camera. And and I I didn't notice it during the movie, but apparently you could see his eyes moving back and forth like he's reading (laughs) his Mm. lines, you know. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, the Invisible Woman herself, uh, the role was initially slated for Margaret Sullivan, who had a contract with Universal and she had one movie left to do and this was the movie but she thought she was better than that movie and didn't want to do it so she never showed up for rehearsals or anything. Wow. So she was replaced. Mm -hmm. John P. Fulton does the special effects for the movie. He did all the Universal Monster special effects and he did the first two Invisible Men movies. And uh, he did another great job here. In fact, this was nominated for an Oscar for Best Effects. Oh, okay. 
This movie had a pretty big budget, much bigger than lots of the universal horror movies of the 40s. Really? Yeah. It's kind of weird. I don't know why. I think it must have been because it was a comedy and comedies were making money mm-hmm. that year or something. But it had a budget of nearly $300,000. And it was, yeah, it was one of the most expensive productions of 1940 for Universal. Wow. It was released December 27th, 1940. Would you like to hear some reviews of the time? Sure. So the New York Times called the film silly and repetitious. The script was as creaky as a two-wheeled cart. And were it not for the fact that John Barrymore is taking a ride in it, we hate to think what the Invisible Woman might have turned out to be. (laughs) Uh, Variety said it was good entertainment for general audiences. Mm -hmm. Film Daily said it was laugh-packed and brightly dialogued and a lot of fun. Harrison's report says pretty good comedy for the masses, but it does not offer anything new to those who saw the other pictures in which the character became invisible. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) Uh, And then John Mosier of The New Yorker wrote, The old stunt is good, yet it's not used to much advantage here. In fact, this is the feeblest example so far of that stunt which the camera can so easily make funny. Mm -hmm. All of these are very fair. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So the movie, I told you, it was around $300,000 to make. It ended up making $659,600. So it did well. Mm Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's what I got on The Invisible Woman, 1940. Yeah. Yeah, that was the last time we'll see The Invisible Woman, but we will see another Invisible Man in the next sequel. So... uh, Wait, what? We'll see another Invisible Man sequel? Yeah, and and he'll be a man. Oh. No more Invisible Women. (laughs) No more Invisible Women, just Invisible Men. Okay. So yeah, that is The Invisible Woman. I think I was hoping for something along the lines of Dracula's daughter, you know? You get like a good moody woman just like being awesome and it's just i don't know i just thought this was too much i don't know why they went with comedy they should have done a woman just going bonkers yeah that would have been great mm-hmm. yeah but I maybe loved- like like a like a noir movie hmm. like kind of get it in that genre yeah. if they want to if they wanted to leave horror so bad yeah yeah hmm. so where can everyone find us, Cynthia? Uh, you can find us at podsandmonsters.com as well as Pods and Monsters Podcast on Instagram, Pods and Monsters on Facebook and on Twitter. You can email us at podsandmonsters at gmail.com. We've updated our watch list. We did switch some stuff around for the 4th of July area. That's right. And our last episode, which was An American Werewolf in London, was one of our most requested episodes. So we did do that a little bit earlier in the year. So if you have any requests, um, please let us know. And when we start getting through the year, maybe, who knows? Who knows where things will land? Um, Or we might get it in before the end of this year. Also, I believe by the time this comes out, they will still be voting open for the Rondo Awards. So please head over into rondoaward.com. We are in category number 19, which is best multimedia site. I believe that's correct. And I believe at the top of the page, there are instructions on how to vote. You don't have to vote for everything. You can vote for whatever you want. And it's an email that you send along to the organizer of this award. So we would love it. And if you have enjoyed our podcast, please take a moment to rate and review and subscribe. Tell your friends. And uh, yeah, um, we've got some really nice reviews. So we really appreciate it. Um, And we're really glad people enjoy it. That's right. So thank you for listening. That was The Invisible Woman. 
I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, this movie was just, it's an hour and 20 minutes. Bing, bam, boom. I really don't know why we did this one. Because it's in the series. We have to do them all. Oh, that makes no sense. <laughs> well, we still hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you like the movie, good. If not, hope you enjoyed the podcast. Don't listen to, if you do watch it, let us know how you feel about it. Yeah. It's not bad. It's just not good. Yeah. <laughs> well, my name is Robert. My name is Anthea. Thank you for listening to Pods and Monsters. Bye. Bye. Those are the loudest grasshoppers I've ever heard. Look at my pipes, my pipes! I'll be back. And if I have any luck, nobody will see me.